Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about increasing an immune cell's ability to target and kill cancer cells with Dr. C.D. Chen. Dr. Chen is an associate professor of genetics at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, C.D., maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. So, I'm a scientist by training, and I got my PhD at the University of Chicago. I studied genetics and evolution, and uh, and then I went to MIT uh, studying cancer biology, and that's when I got motivated to uh, find future cures for cancer and benefit a broader population. So tell us a little bit more about your research and how you're trying to uh, cure cancer. I believe currently we are in a new era of cancer medicine. There are a number of new therapies on the horizon, including uh, cancer immunotherapy using immune checkpoints and more recently on cell and gene therapy. And I think the future of medicine is to use a variety of novel uh, therapeutics for uh, uh, for the patients, and these novel therapeutics would have to be better than what we have today. Uh, for example, they have to overcome the uh, disease resistance, relapse, and have to uh, have better safety profiles and have more balanced efficacy and toxicity ratio. And I can keep going, but. Uh, uh, I think for our patients, we need better drugs. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Tell us about your research and how you hope to do all of those things. I mean, certainly, I, I, I think that those are all lofty goals. Um, so how are you approaching this? Sure. Uh, I think no man can do it all. Uh, neither can I. Uh, as a geneticist, I believe the true power of unbiased approach uh, all of us have the same genetic compositions. We all share the same genes in the genome. Of course, there are uh, uh, variations. But uh, my approach uh, has been let nature tell us what is the right approach, which means we tend to go broad and survey the entire genome or survey a full set of genetic compositions to see which genes, if you take it out or if you turn it on, would help our own cells fight cancer cells better. And we do so by performing unbiased genetic screens, such as CRISPR knockout, CRISPR activation screen, to find the therapeutic target that can overcome some of the problem that I mentioned uh, previously. Uh, for example, resistance to cancer killing or uh, tumor infiltration or metabolism. And uh, by doing these screens, we will be able to see through a big pile of uh, uh, haystacks to find the, the small set of needles that allow us to improve uh, uh, the property of immune cells such as T cells. 
and thereby enhance our therapeutic efficacy and reduce the toxicity. Delve a little bit more into the details of that, uh, CD. Tell us a little bit more about how you go through this haystack and find these needles. Um, uh, define for our audience what technologies you use. Not everybody might be aware of what exactly CRISPR is and how that works. Sure. Uh, let me slightly switch gears. CRISPR is not a, a technology from the gecko because it's actually an immune system of the bacteria. Uh, but then uh, us, the human beings, harness those uh, tools, uh, those natural uh, components for, from bacteria to become genetic tools. The beauty of uh, CRISPR is that it can be very easy to use and can be precisely targeted and can be scalable. So what we are doing is to use CRISPR to manipulate the genes for their expression. For example, we can take out a gene or we can turn on a gene and we can do so thousands or tens of thousands uh, at a time. Uh, for example, if there are 20,000 genes in our genome, we can turn one on at a time, but we do it all together. And it's like we uh, enumerate each of the haystack and see by turning on each of the genes, which genes would help our own cells kill cancer cells better. Uh, because we're doing so many at once, and the chances we're finding those needles are much higher than, uh, uh, than using a traditional uh, one-at-a-time approach. So you, you start turning on these genes to figure out which ones are going to help you in your fight against cancer and which ones are not. One would think, however, that um, still that's rather simplistic in terms of fighting cancer. So how do you figure out which genes are particularly relevant uh, for which particular cancers or which particular drugs? Or is it the fact that you know, certain genes are ubiquitous in terms of their effect in cancer? Uh, those are great questions. Uh, there are numerous ways to, to roam. And uh, just take one of our recent studies, for example. We are taking uh, triple negative breast cancer cells, and we also take T cells, that's the cell from our own body's immune cells, to fight them. And then we turn on the genes in T cells using CRISPR, and then we measure the ability of T cells to kill and there's a, uh, that becomes technical, there's a, an assay called degranulation assay, which means we can see how fast these T cells degranulate, meaning how fast they release the, uh, the, the enzyme to kill cancer cells. And uh, by measuring the uh, uh, degranulation, which means the T cell killing ability, uh, one gene at a time, but in a massive parallel manner, we can exhaust the entire genome for every gene uh, uh, in T cells. And then uh, we can identify which genes, when they're activated, would enhance such an ability to kill cancer cells. And of course, this we initially perform in the breast cancer cell uh, killing 
But then uh, when we apply to uh, other cancer types, we found this is also true because the gene is universal. And therefore, uh, the ability of T cells to kill cancer cells uh, is controlled by the same gene, uh, uh, no matter it's killing a breast cancer cell or killing a leukemia cell or killing a myeloma cell. I mean, it it certainly sounds um, incredibly interesting. But one of the things that might be curious is, you know, you're turning on these genes and, and kind of using CRISPR technology to activate these genes within a T cell. But in a human, how would you activate that gene? Or is there a way to turn on uh, particular genes uh, in an in vivo system? Yeah, that's another great question. A cell therapy, uh, by definition, is the usage of cells as therapeutics. And uh, for many, uh, many of you, you might have heard of CAR-Ts or uh, chimeric antigen receptor T-cells. That's one form of cell therapy. And what uh, CAR-T or other form of cell therapy does is that it takes the cells from a patient or from a healthy donor, and then you can perform genetic engineering in those cells. For example, putting chimeric antigen receptors on the surface or like what we're doing, enhance the expression or turn on the expression of a particular gene. And we can do it by demand by using uh, genetic engineering or uh, vector transgenes. Uh, So after we modify these uh, genes in these T cells, uh, the cells would become uh, therapeutic candidates. And those are the type of uh, cells uh, we can use to infuse back into, uh, in our case, the animals to treat the, uh, the, the, uh, the cancer in those animal models. Of course, in the clinic, there are approved drugs of cell therapy where the same process happened. The cells were taken out from patient, the, g- the genes have been modified, and the cells have been reinfused into the patient to treat cancer. Then one would think that you would have some cells, the the native cells uh, that are in the patient that are not, quote, supercharged or, or modified, and you'd have some cells uh, that were the more therapeutic cells that had been reinfused. How do you get, um, or is there a way to get patients to make their own cells have that supercharged ability so that um, when these cells die, uh, there isn't a continued need to um, have an infusion of these modified cells, or is that something that isn't done? A patient may not need the supercharged cells in their body for a very long period of time. Uh, and we, to some degree, uh, we haven't done the clinical study yet, but to some degree, we believe uh it may be important to uh, let the cells finish the job and and be done because we don't want them to stick on forever. So I think some cells may be sufficient uh, to uh, uh, kill the cancer cells. And uh, we're talking about a persistence issue, which is, can be a very long conversation, but... Uh, uh, the ideal situation would be 
we infuse those cells into uh, the body, the cells kill off the cancer, and the cancer is gone, and then the cells are gone too, and then the patient is back to normal. So that would be ideal situation. But in the real clinic, this is uh, much more complicated than that. I mean, one of the things that we think about is um, recurrences, or even patients who de novo are at an increased risk. And so when we think about the immune system, not only does the immune system help us in terms of you know, clearing cancer cells or treating cancer cells, um, and so having these supercharged uh, cells um, would be useful in that context, but they may also be relevant in terms of preventing cancers from occurring at all, uh, so in high-risk individuals, or in patients who are at high risk of recurrence, reducing the risk of recurrence. So has this kind of therapy been thought about in those two contexts? Oh, you're absolutely right. In, uh, in cancer treatment, there are many cases of relapse or resistance, and therefore multiple dosing is uh, often required or beneficial. And uh, it's absolutely case by case in the clinic, disease by disease, indication by indication. And I think we are still early in the form of cell therapy because currently cell therapy infusion is only given once. And uh, there are, have been clinical trials for multiple infusions or uh, uh, used as prophylaxis, but uh, those are much earlier studies. Uh, the approved drugs were uh, given as a uh, single infusion for most of the time. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about supercharged T-cells fighting cancer with my guest, Dr. C.D. Chen. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital. Hosting a Smilo Shares Cancer Survivor Series June 8th and 15th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email cancerancers at yale.edu. Breast cancer is one of the most common cancers in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,500 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year. But there is hope thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and the development of novel therapies to fight breast cancer. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with the disease. With screening, early detection, and a healthy lifestyle, breast cancer can be defeated. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is also transforming breast cancer screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. C.D. Chen, we're learning about his research into using T-cells to fight cancer cells. And right before the break, uh, he was telling us about how you could use new technology to um, look for genes that may be particularly effective in terms of getting rid of cancer, and then using CRISPR technology to uh, activate these genes and potentially using it in cellular therapies in patients 
um, to treat cancers. So, CD, you had mentioned that your work right now is is using largely animal models. Has this been tested in clinical trials, or is that something that is coming down the pike? Thank you for the question. And uh, my lab is a preclinical research lab, and of course, like uh, my goal is to discover and uh, understand the therapeutic uh, targets and pathways and how it works to build the portfolio or the platform uh, for future translational studies. Uh, we are, of course, talking to uh, different translational partners or potential partners uh, to bring this uh, further down into clinic. Uh, but this is uh, a complicated process because cell uh, therapy has uh, uh, c- complex manufacturing and uh, a complex uh, regulatory path as well. So it's not as uh, easy as some of the traditional drugs. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned that you had started your research um, really looking at triple negative breast cancer. So do you want to tell our audience a little bit about why you chose triple negative as a good um, cancer to look at to begin with? Yeah, sure. Uh, Anise, you are a much better expert than me on uh, breast cancer. Uh, for us, we believed triple negative breast cancer is a type of uh, breast cancer that uh, there is no uh, hormone-targeted therapy, which is very commonly used for the other types, such as a HER2 positive. Uh, so uh, we believe we need to identify uh, other uh, novel therapeutic targets or therapeutic approaches to uh, adjust the unmet need for this disease. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But I, I think the so certainly, you know, we, we on this show talk a lot about targeted therapies and triple negative, by definition, don't have a target as such. Uh, they certainly are not responsive to endocrine therapy being ERPR negative, And they're not responsive to HER2 targets, Um, given the fact that they don't express uh, that receptor either. One of the interesting things about triple negative breast cancer is that we've found that these are potentially more immunogenic in in the sense that they tend to have more T-infiltrating lymphocytes when when you look at them. Um, When people have looked at immunotherapies, uh, they, they tend to respond to immunotherapies. So, you know, in thinking about these supercharged T cells, I wonder whether um, part of the rationale is to look at cancers that are particularly um, prime for um, immune regulation. It, did that play into your thinking? And if so, um, will it affect which cancers you look at next in terms of the ability for these supercharged T cells? Uh, to to battle cancer. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, the uh, breast cancer have different subtypes, and uh, and even uh, between different patients, there are different level of uh, immune infiltration, or the tumor microenvironment is uh, complex issues. Uh, there are tumors without any or uh, with very little. Uh, infiltrating T cells, that's the cancer-fighting cell. And on the other end, there are tumors that are filled with uh, immune cells. And uh, 
in order for T cells to kill cancer cells, you need the T cell to get there, uh, get to the right place before they can do their job. And therefore, we are also looking for uh, genetic components uh, that controls the process of uh, tumor infiltration uh, besides cancer killing. And uh, in order to do so, we are adopting uh, a similar approach uh, on biased genetic screens and look for the, 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 the genes when you either get rid of or when you turn on would help the T cells get into the tumor microenvironment. And, uh, and I think that property uh, can be cancer-specific or can be more universal. Like, uh, and what we have been doing now is use triple-negative breast cancer as a starter model and then identify those genes to supercharge the T-cells and then apply those you know, findings into other disease indications uh, such as other forms of breast cancer or melanoma or uh, pancreatic cancer or other cancer types. So, CD, when you've started to look at these other cancers, have you found that there's a difference in terms of the response uh, of these um, these supercharged T cells based on how immunogenic the cancer is? In other words, if a cancer doesn't have a lot of T infiltrating lymphocytes, um, say uh, like a luminal A breast cancer um, or or a cancer that really doesn't uh, evade the immune system or isn't as immunogenic, is the effect different in those populations, in those cancers, in those patients than it is in cancers where there are a lot of tumor infiltrating uh, lymphocytes or cancers that we know are highly immunogenic? Oh, thank you for the question. And uh, uh, let me declare that uh, I'm not a clinician, so therefore I cannot comment on the patient side. But however, uh, based on the tumor models we use in animals, there are certainly uh, differences and commonalities between different uh, disease models. Uh, you, you find in cases where the uh, genes regulating T cell uh, cancer killing or cancer infiltration uh, is specific for some type of cancer, but also there's a set of genes that are common to multiple types of cancers uh, when we're performing these T-cell uh, studies, T-cell screening studies. And so, um, so uh, have you looked at whether when you supercharge these T lymphocytes, um, whether there's a difference in terms of how effective they are in cancer killing when they are coupled with other forms of therapy, say immunotherapy or chemotherapy? That's a great question. And that's exactly what we're trying now because, uh, as you know, in, uh, most of the uh, late-stage cancer cannot be cured by a single form of therapeutics. And that's why having uh, more options and uh, more innovative therapeutics would allow us to uh, have more choices for the patient and to, uh, to have multiple lines of therapy or have different combinations. And we are studying uh, different combinations in our lab, including uh, immune checkpoint antibodies and uh, chemotherapy 
and cell therapy with or without supercharged T cells and gene therapy. So uh, we are looking forward to see the signal of one plus one greater than two, or at least one plus one greater than one uh, 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 in terms of uh, therapeutic efficacy. And hopefully in terms of toxicity, uh, one plus one is smaller than one, or like at least not uh, too much greater than two. Uh, uh, so uh, this is always a hard balance. So CD, um, have you have you gotten any initial results um, on that uh, in terms of understanding um, what combines well with supercharged T cells versus what doesn't? Yeah, we're still early in the game, and uh, our research is ongoing. And uh, with some initial uh, observation is that uh, if we combine it with uh, uh, the gene therapy or a major base uh, uh, immune gene therapy, uh, because like uh, uh, one side of my study is to heat up the immune system in the tumor. Like uh, we have uh, uh, an approach called multiplex activation of endogenous genes as immunotherapy called Meiji. And we found cell therapy and Meiji can be combined uh, uh, in order to uh, improve the therapeutic efficacy of one another. Uh, this is natural because uh, what Meiji does is to heat up the immune system so T cells get in easier and recognize the cancer cell better. And then the cell therapy is to actually providing the T cells itself, uh, supercharge them, and then uh, let them do the job to kill cancer cells. So I think naturally these work together, but of course, there's a long way to go. So how does, just take us back a little bit, how does gene therapy actually work in terms of the clinic. I mean, is that using a vector that goes into your cells and and kind of does its own little CRISPR in vivo? Um, help our audience to understand how that works. Yeah, sure. Uh, gene therapy for cancer is still very early, and currently there's very little uh, 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 approved drugs for gene therapy for cancer. And uh, currently there are. Uh, uh, a few examples, uh, for example, uh, you can deliver the gene therapy uh, product uh, systemically, uh, or you can deliver the gene therapy product directly into cancer and hopefully it not just treat the tumor you, you injected, but also create the inflammatory response that's going to be systemic, meaning it has an effect on the 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 distance side, uh, this is uh, sounds challenging, but not impossible because our own body is connected. The immune system is uh, connected. So what we've been doing and trying to do is to try to use gene th therapy to uh, activate the immune system so that. Uh, when it gets activated, it has the ability to chase down the cancer cells, not just from the, the tumor side, but also uh, on the distant side, for example, the metastasis. 
So how exactly does gene therapy activate the immune system? Because so many of us have heard about checkpoint inhibitors. Um, You told us a little bit about cellular therapy. Tell us how gene therapy kind um, kind of revs up the immune system as well. Yeah, sure. In one of our earlier study, we used a trick called CRISPR activation. And again, uh, this is uh, similar to what we do for supercharging T cells. But in this case, we are promoting the expression of antigens because the cancer cells, they don't want to be seen by the immune system. Therefore, they downregulate or they could downregulate the expression of their own antigen on the surface. What we try to do is we force the expression of those antigens to be uh, hyperactivated or hyperexpressed and present it on the surface. And therefore, we're like shedding a light on those cancer cells and uh, let the immune system see them better. Dr. C.D. Chen is an associate professor of genetics at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu. And past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at YaleCancerCenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.